Good morning, Exchange. I hope you are well. Uh, we are going to be primarily in 1 Peter chapter 5 today. So if you want to turn there or scroll there, uh, we are going to move lightning fast. Uh, I want to say thanks for those who came uh, and served uh, this week. Uh, we asked you to do that a couple weeks ago, and uh, you did really, really, really well exchange. So I appreciate that. Uh, Thursday, we had the chance to come in, and uh, Jesse and, and Daniel uh, brought in all the incredible coffee equipment, espresso machines. We literally poured lattes for the teachers uh, that morning. And one of the things that that enabled us to do is when they made their order, Jesse and Daniel, of course, like they're pouring like the leaves and the hearts and all the things. Uh, it was incredible. Uh, but when they did, what, what it helped us do was they would make an order and then they would stand in line and wait for it. And we had the opportunity to engage them. And we even like literally prayed, not just for, but with some teachers uh, on Thursday in the lobby uh, of the school. I think that's pretty incredible. I had one teacher that, that just stopped us and said, um, she told me, she said, um, you know, when you guys are in here, I, I feel like God is in the building. And I was like, well, we'll nuance that just a little bit, but I know what you're trying to say, and the spirit of God is here with us. And so thank you for serving. Uh, thank you for doing that. Um, I think it means a ton, and we have earned the right to uh, to be heard here. So thank you. So Ed, Ed preached for us last week and began our series on welcome to church and uh, outlined really if God is committed to this thing or not, or if this is just like this man-made organization uh, that we should, you know, volunteer some time, maybe come to uh, from time and again, uh, give some weekends up a year, or if this is something that the creator of the universe has said, this is really, really, really important. And this, the church, is how I'm going to accomplish my mission. He gave us all of the ways that God is committed to the church. If you haven't listened to that, I would challenge you to do that. But if God is committed to the church, then he also must have structure uh, on how the church is led and who leads the church. And so uh, for part two of the series today, we're talking about uh, what are the expectations? What should we expect from those who lead the church? So this morning, all of you guys get to listen as I preach to Ed, okay? Uh, you guys just say amen to everything, right? Ed, eyes up here, right? Um, he places really, really high qualifications on who leads the church. And he does that primarily in two texts. In uh, Timothy and in Titus, he outlines the qualifications of those who lead the church. And those are very uh, specific. I, I don't think exhaustive, but very specific. Uh, and then in other places throughout the New Testament, especially even the Old Testament, actually, uh, he gives us how we should lead the church. And he does so by using often a metaphor of a sheep and shepherds. In all of sports, we have interesting mascots, of course, uh, but not many teams want to be known as the sheep for some reason, right? Uh, a couple of years, years ago when the Washington Redskins were changing their names, uh, sheep was literally on like after the name football team the Washington football team, right? Like we were like, hey, two choices, sheep or football team. We're gonna go with the football team, right? 
uh, commanders, whatever it was. Nobody wants sheep. Why? It's not an animal that, that produces a great deal of awe, right? You look at them and you're like, oh, they're kind of cute when they're little, right? They don't have any defense mechanism except to run. They're, they can uh, overgraze pastures. They literally uh, dream about ways to die, basically, is what they do, right? And yet, Scripture often points us to this metaphor that he is our shepherd. Psalm 23, we know this really well. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But there's also times in Scripture uh, that it would identify or liken pastors or elders to shepherds as well. Jeremiah makes this reference in the Old Testament. He says this in Jeremiah chapter three, and I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. In Acts chapter 20, he says this, take uh, therefore heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. While Paul has much to say on the subject of pastors or shepherds, Peter actually has very little. However, in our passage today, in 1 Peter chapter 5, he gives a great deal of encouragement uh, to pastors and both a challenge to shepherds uh, and those who are led by them. So let's read together 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 uh, through 4. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful game, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So Peter says a great deal in just a few verses, and he uses three terms that we see synonymously chosen and used throughout the New Testament. First, he uses this word elders. Now, it means old and wise. It's a connotation of this veteran of the faith. It means that someone has proven their life uh, to be walking with God. But also there's this sense of humility and the ability uh, to be an example. Peter displays this himself. And the fact that he identifies himself as a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And in some ways, he sets himself apart and sets uh, himself apart by the real fact that he knows Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He witnessed Christ's sufferings. But in a remarkable way, he identifies himself with us. He says, as a fellow elder and witness. He assures us that, that although he shared the experiences with Christ on earth, we will all partake together for eternity in the blessings of Christ. And then he uses this word. He says, shepherd. He, he uses this as an imperative, as a command. There's this active sense of protection and care. In this case, it's not a shepherd, a noun that's uh, describing a person, but commanding this, or, or articulating what this person is to do. Some translations actually say feed. When Jesus was talking to Peter uh, on the shore of Galilee after Peter's denial, if you remember, three times Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? And he said these words, feed my sheep. After each time, Jesus answers him and basically says, shepherd 
my flock, Peter. Feeding and shepherding are, in this sense, are inseparable terms and duties of a shepherd. And then he uses another word, an overseer, uh, which is a caretaker, uh, someone who's seeing and protecting and guarding. And so I think with these three terms, Peter is describing the character and duties of a pastor, but he's also pushing on us on how these should be done. I'm going to push us back to, uh, to Acts chapter 6 very briefly. And this is going to lay the foundation of what Peter says in his passage. In Acts chapter 6, verse 2 through 4, uh, the apostles are wrestling with uh, their ability to do everything. And the church is growing at this point very quickly. And they're finding themselves in a difficult position where the widows of the church are, are being neglected. They come to them. Uh, people come to them and say, hey, listen, you've neglected the widows. It was, a, it was a fair charge against the elders there in the church. They said, you're right. We need to come up with a solution. They begin to pray. And then this is what they said. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on table. So they have this problem. We have to do this part of our ministry, what we're called to do. But there's also things that need to be done. And so he says, brothers, choose seven men among uh, you who are full of the spirit of wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them. And this is what they say. This is what they say they would give their full attention to. We will give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. So I think this outlines the foundation of a pastor, shepherd, overseer's uh, work and ministry is prayer and ministry of the word. I think this looks very, very different than maybe our cultural context of a pastor. I'll have to be honest. Uh, this week, I went on YouTube and I typed in a day in a life of a pastor just to see what was out there. And I watched probably eight to 10 videos. And none of those videos <laughs> looked like any day that I've ever had in my entire life. <laughs> I have never pulled up to the church building in an Escalade where someone greets me and carries my bag in. Not once. But I think on all 10 of those videos, that's how it starts out. It's like this idea of this like celebrity. I'll tell you how, how we come in. Me and my boys come in at 7.30 when we pick up the trailer. We unload this gear. I'm not saying that because I don't want to do it. I'm saying that because what you see on TV and on social media is not a pastor. It's a persona. And I, and I would venture to believe that maybe, I'm making a harsh judgment here, I'm getting a little salty, but I would venture to believe that most often what we see on TV and the guys who get out of the Escalade and somebody's carrying their bags probably couldn't tell you the names of the people on their staff much less the people that they're supposed to shepherd. And so we've got this idea, what scripture says is, is what pastoring is and what we're held to, the standard, what scripture demands. And we've got this cultural context, this wave coming at us that we have to swim upstream. And so I would encourage you, Exchange, if you ever leave Exchange for any reason, if you ever find yourself in a place where the Lord is moving you literally geographically away from Exchange, or you have decided that you can no longer worship here, you must find a pastor that, that fits these standards. This is for us today. 
So a pastor must be committed to prayer and the study of Scripture. This has to be the foundation of their role, to prayer and the study of Scripture, not building the brand. Can I encourage you that and assure you that our team of elders are, are committed to these things? This is what we do. I can tell you the hours that we spend in prayer for you and your family. Every single elder meeting begins with, who do we need to pray for this week? There are seasons where you're constantly on our mind and our hearts. Many of us have a practice of working our way down the membership list. Literally just printing a list from our computer and saying, God, I don't know what's going on in this person's life today, but I'm, I'm, I'm begging you to do something for them. We pour over scripture, not to just teach, but to make sure that you're hearing from the Lord in ways that he wants us to hear. Not just what we'd like him to say, but what we need him to say. But this isn't just the role of an elder. This isn't just the role of a pastor. This is something that we begin to do when you become a pastor and elder. This is the kind of life that qualifies you for the work of ministry. Hours praying, seeking God. There are hours that no one sees or tweets about. No fog machines, no glossy pictures. This is the prayer closet. Where instead of driving to work and just zoning out on whatever's playing, you drive to work and you have people on your mind. You're, you're praying constantly. And I think this prayer life unifies our elders. We have five elders here at Exchange currently. And I've shared with this uh, before, and I think it's confused some uh, because it just seems like maybe that's not possible. But our team of elders, we're coming up on 10 years here at Exchange. Uh, Two elders are taking a break right now, uh, but we have never once voted on anything as a team of elders. And I think sometimes that has been looked at very confusingly at exchange, because we, our world doesn't operate like that. So we begin to say, well, how can that happen? And, and most often the, the criticism on that is, well, that means there's one person that runs the elder meetings and everyone else is just kind of uh, yes men. But I'll tell you, I respect those four other men in the room way too much for them to just be puppets. These guys are incredible and they pray hard through things. So that means when we're in an elder meeting and we're talking about a direction for the church or we're talking about something that's heavy on our hearts, if one person in the room has pause, we literally all slam breaks. You know why? Because we trust the other guys at that table so much that if one person has pause, it literally causes the entire room to slow down. We've never had to vote on anything. It doesn't mean that we all agree. In fact, Later on in this series, we'll talk about what it means to submit to pastors and elders. And the only way that I can possibly preach that sermon in a few weeks to come is by saying, you know what? I do this too. I have four other elders in my life, four other pastors in my life that I constantly submit to. It would be unfair and unwise for one person to stand up here and say, yeah, scripture says everyone has to submit to me. That's a little biased. And I don't believe that that's good. 
But when there's a group of guys in a room praying on your behalf, on our behalf, it causes us to want to lean in, to listen a little harder. It doesn't mean that we get everything right. It just means that we try desperately to seek and honor the Lord in all that we do. This is the foundational role of an elder is prayer and the study of Scripture. Our dedication to prayer and Scripture uh, is to come alongside of you in your journey of faith to help equip you for ministry. And Ephesians talks about this. He says this, And he gave to them some apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to do what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Ed talked about this last week, that God is committed to building up his church through each individual uh, member. And so pastors must be committed to equip the church for ministry. I think pastors have to be committed to, um, to the study of scripture and to prayer, but also we must be committed to equip the church for ministry. And you should have this expectation on your pastors. I think what this means is we aren't using the church for our own platform. We're not using the church for our own platform. We're not asking you to come along in our mission, right? We're asking you and training you to be in the mission of God. This is very different. Our role is to help you in your commitment to the kingdom. Our goal is not to do ministry for you. It's, not, it's to equip you. So our job, I think this is really important, our job is not to disciple your children. Let me say that really, really clearly. My job is not to teach your kid about Jesus. That's your job. My job is to help you do your job. But we don't come here to church and say, okay, now ignore everything I've done and everything that I've said in the absence of what I've done or said this week and just listen to Pastor Brian. That is not my job. Our job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It's to come alongside of you and to help you, to be your cheerleader, to lift you up, to challenge you, to encourage you, to sharpen you. It's an incredible place when all believers are using their gifts and abilities for this edification of the church. He continues this and he says this, but speaking the truth and love were to grow in all aspects of him who is the head, Christ, and from whom the whole body is fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. It causes growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. This is good when we come together and we are being used in the way that God has created us. He says that it builds the church together. So according to this passage, our actions, our words, our gifts should all cause the church to grow, not just in number, but in maturity. It's a heavy weight. It's not just for the pastor, because our job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It falls on all of us. And Peter, going back to 1 Peter chapter 5, says this. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sword gain, but for eagerness. The King James Version uses these words, feed the flock. 
I think pastors must be committed to feed the church with theology through Scripture. I think this is really important. Pastors have to be committed to feed the church with theology through Scripture. The shepherding and care of the church will either produce strong believers for ministry or anemic, wounded targets for the enemy. Too often, I think, preachers revert to sermons that are just TED Talks, honestly. Three ideas why. And I would just challenge you, exchange, each week we ask you to turn to a passage. Each week, mostly, I encourage you to search it over for yourself. Hold us accountable for what's inside of it. I don't want to talk about my ideas. I don't want to talk about uh, these three reasons why and use scripture as just a backing for my ideas. We want to turn to scripture, pour over it and say, what does the Bible have to say about these things? We're not just going to use scripture for our own context, but we place our context inside of scripture. We're going to plow through books of the Bible written to believers so that we can learn and grow together. I think scripture takes this seriously itself. Second Timothy says this, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. This should be a mark of churches that scripture drives everything we talk about. Scripture pushes us into all of our thoughts, what we believe about God, how we interact with the world, what we think about the ways of God should come from scripture, not our feelings. I think even a passage like this in 1 Peter could easily be skipped over because it's mainly focused on pastors. I feel like, I joked about this earlier, I'm preaching to Ed and myself and the other elders and all of you guys get to listen in. So the most often a sermon like this, we just kind of skip over it in church because it's like out of the context, to be honest, I still am trying to think of more application for us now. But I went to bed last night and I was like, I don't have really a lot of things for exchange to come alongside and do here. But it doesn't mean that it's not worthy of us talking about it, of pushing in on us. I have to trust the Lord that he'll do something with it. We put a ton of work. You guys have uh, heard me talk about our content team. We use men and women, various ages. We meet most often each week, not during this series because it's a little different. We ask people to bring us ideas, how they read the text. I can't tell you how many times I've kind of gone there and been, my, my mind has been opened to questions that I wouldn't have asked. You know, when you have a 17-year-old girl on your content team, she, she tends to think about Scripture differently than a 43-year-old man. It's a different thing. And so she asks questions that I would never ask. It forces us to open Scripture in an entirely different way. We believe here at Exchange that the preaching of the Word is very important. It's very important. And I'll say this, I think Corey told me after he preached this summer, I loved what he said. He said, everybody should have to do that once in their life. Our team works really, really hard. And I've become, I think, more accustomed or more aware of what's happening during it. I I watched an interview one time, uh, just uh, 
maybe a few weeks back with John Mark Comer, pastor, author, uh, great theologian. And he was saying, um, he speaks all over the place and does all kinds of things. And he said, preaching is the most exhausting thing that he does in his life. And, and so the interviewer kind of pressed in and he said, why do you think that is? He said, I, for a long time, I didn't understand it. And until I, to be honest, until I watched that interview, I didn't either. And he said something really encouraging and he said, uh, and discouraging, to be honest. He said, we believe that there's spiritual forces, literally a kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness. He said, I believe that when we are proclaiming scripture, we're not proclaiming it only to the people in seats, but literally to spirits in the room. And so he says, like, you're literally doing warfare as you're speaking and proclaiming this truth. And so I think an easy way to get around that is, is to just be kind of light a little bit, to avoid spiritual persecution, to feel, uh, avoid spiritual warfare in our lives and my life. A really easy way to, was just to be, let's keep it light. I think what Blair said, the enemy hates it when we push scripture and we turn it back to him. And this is why James, the brother of Jesus, warned us. He says this, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know uh, that who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I don't know that there's a verse or a passage that scares me more than that. I, I don't know what that's like. In Hebrews 13, we have this passage where it says, you know, that, that the elders and overseers and shepherds will be held accountable for your souls. I don't know exactly what that means either. I don't know if there's a day in heaven, like we're mid-feast, and Jesus is like, ah, Brian and Ed, you're next. Back room. I, I don't know what that judgment is like, but I know this. I know what I don't want it to be like. And that's why we're committed to opening scripture up and just saying, this is what the word of God says. So the good news for you is I'm judged on what I teach. But you'll be judged on how you apply it. You'll be judged on how you apply it. And so let me ask you this exchange. Do you spend time contemplating how the spirit of God is going to use what we teach on Sundays or what we go through in small groups do you pray through it? Do you go back over notes and make sure that the Holy, Holy Spirit confirms what we've said? Do you raise questions and wrestle through it throughout the week? Can I challenge you? Wrestle with these passages. Go back over your notes. Go back through and say, God, is this really what you're saying? When we preach through scripture, I, I think we're obligated always to allow it to change us, to shape us, not to just affirm us. Paul warns Timothy, he says this in 2 Timothy 4, he says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. It's literally as if when you open scripture and begin to preach scripture, he says, there's gonna come a time where people say, I don't want to hear it. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll grow and gather around them in great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. There's another stipulation in this passage as well as Peter 
continues that I think is really important and a guiding factor. I want to read it again because I think it's so important. Therefore, exalt the elders among you as a fellow, fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you. I think this is pastors must be committed to feed the flock that is among them. This is really, really important. That a pastor should be more dedicated to his flock than to his brand. Pastors should be more dedicated to his flock than to his brand. For us, this has massive implications. This determines for us the places in Scripture we spend time in. This determines how we pray over you. We, how we pray what we need to walk through together. This is why uh, we're going through the series that we're in right now. About a year ago, our, our elders and pastors began to pray, God, what would you have for our church? We don't get online and look at like, you know, sermonseries.com and just say like, what's the, what's the best looking graphic we can use in our series right now and preach through right now? What's a movie we can leverage and talk about for a little bit? No, literally we say, God, what do you need? What do you want us to go through at exchange? This is probably why you won't hear sermons on what America needs now. You, you won't hear sermons here at Exchange that all of us just gather around and say, amen, 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 amen. This is why at Exchange, when we preach through the scripture, it's through prayer and God's leading that says, this is what Exchange of Rollsville needs right. But it doesn't just mean sermons. I, I believe we believe that it means care. That we would care for the flock that's among us. I think um, Karen Jobes said this. She said, uh, elders especially should not draw back from the shepherding of their flock. For it is God's will that they willingly lead the church, and even though by doing so they make themselves sometimes targets for spiritual persecution, this is the mission of the church. Peter says this, and he says, to shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, meaning that we are all under the shepherd, Jesus Christ, you will receive this unfading crown of glory. I think Peter has in mind the Olympic Games in Athens when he wrote this. There was this crown, literally, uh, that you would train, you would run, you would fight, you would do all of the things. And the prize during that day was a crown uh, made of leaves, flowers, in some cases, parsley. And so you can imagine the shelf life on that crown, right? Like you did all of the work all year long, maybe years long. You won this race. You're the fastest person in the world at that time. And you got this crown made of parsley. 
parsley that had about a two-day shelf life. I think Paul's taken a little bit of a jab there that we work so hard and fill ourselves with this idea of just uh, being the best or doing the best or whatever we can do. And it's just this fading crown of glory. He says there's a greater crown. There's something more valuable to give our lives to. I think he's referencing this incredible, absurd tendency we have to give everything we have towards the temporary. But instead, Peter turns our gaze towards eternity and again promises an unfading crown of glory. So here, Peter ends with some application for us exchange. He says this in verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders and clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. All of us. Because God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. To be honest, this is a a difficult sermon to preach because I feel like I'm preaching it to myself. But it's one that I want to arm you with, exchange. Because I believe that if we have an idea of what church is and that God's committed to his church, I believe that we need a firm foundation of what scripture requires of the commitments and expectations of pastors and elders and overseers. And if he requires this, we should live by this. We should seek this. We should, you should demand it from us. You should demand it from us. These are the things that we are going to be held accountable for. And I would ask you, if you feel like the elders and shepherds and pastors at exchange at any moment are not fulfilling these requirements, I would love a conversation. I would love for you to come to us and say, I don't think you're doing this. I would welcome that. You know why? Because I would rather have a conversation with you about this than Jesus. I say that a little bit in jest because I know Jesus is full of grace and mercy. You know that, right? But sometimes his grace to us is other conversations and other people coming to us and say, hey, can we talk about this? There's this interesting story I read about uh, a sheep named Barak. He wandered off. Uh, from his farm in Australia and was gone for over a year, uh, close, uh, actually over two years. Uh, He was abandoned. They didn't know where he was. They found him with more than 75 pounds of wool weighing him down. He hadn't been sheared in a couple of years. And so a video transformation, it was kind of, it went viral. Uh, And after rescuing them, they, they gave, the sanctuary staff gave him this long overdue shearing and found that it was 78 pounds of wool surrounding about a 65-pound sheep. According to Kelly Dingham, the sheep needed uh, this, this, shearing, uh, this annual shearing each year. Their coats become light enough for the animals, otherwise it continues to grow. And despite his heavy fleece, Barak was actually underweight after being sheared. The wool around his face impaired his vision, making him vulnerable to predators even more so. They found grit and debris pooling around the gaps of his uh, eyelids. There was grass stuck in there that it caused an ulcer, and there was manure caked everywhere. You can imagine the condition of this sheep. What he needed was a shepherd. He needed care. 
He needed someone to lead him to the place of water, a good pasture. And we have this shepherd, exchange. We have this shepherd. His name is Jesus. And so I don't, I don't know about you, but I would say, you know, there's chances are that you have been let down by a leader. Chances are in this room, you've had a pastor that didn't look like the expectations that, that, ex- that scripture places on pastors. There's chances that you've been hurt, neglected. And there's chances are that, that it's really difficult for you to look at pastors or elders and say, yeah, I, I want to trust. They care. But I would ask you to give us a chance. Give us a chance. And let us care. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're so grateful for the example of your son, Jesus Christ, who we know is the great shepherd. Lord, we we thank you that when human leaders fail, we still have the great shepherd who cares for us deeply, who leads us perfectly, who greets us each morning with new mercies, who's rich in grace, who leads us beside still waters, and who's able, the only one, to restore our soul. So Lord, I pray that that you would do just that, restore our soul. Lord, for those in the room that have been hurt and disappointed, Lord, would you meet them with a grace that can only come from you. God, would you meet them as the good shepherd? Lord, I pray that that these qualifications that you would place on your church, the way that you would have your church to be led, would be true here at Exchange. Lord, I pray that, that we would be a people that are dedicated to prayer and ministry of the word that we would search scripture and teach it in a way that we know we're going to be held accountable to. Pray that we would love people well, that we wouldn't shy away from the truth, that we would dispense truth with love, lavished with grace. And Lord, I pray that you would protect us especially those who lead the church. Lord, I pray that you would protect us from the enemy. Father, would you use what you're doing here at Exchange to impact the world for your mission and your kingdom? And we ask this, Jesus, in your name.
Thank mm-hmm. you.